You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. And I want to talk to you guys about the culture uh, of the DNA of who we are in Frisco and who we are aspiring to be. So if you guys could look over here at this wall, we feel so strongly about the presence of the Lord that we put it on the wall. Um, We are first and foremost, we're people of his presence. Like that is the goal. The goal is to be those people that, that lock eyes with him, get undone by him and are just marinated in the presence of God. Amen. So that's, that's what we do. But I want to talk tonight a little bit about um, who we become in the presence. Um, I want us um, as a church, I want us to be a people that love really well. I want us to be a safe place for people to come with their messes and be met in a place of safety and understanding. Because the truth is, how many of us know that messes are just symptoms of broken hearts and broken identity? And so we want to be able to be a place where people can come and they can bring their mess and they are not their messes. Amen. Um, So every week, um, our staff prays over newcomer cards. If you've ever been a newcomer here and filled out a newcomer card, then uh, you know what I'm talking about. But we have them in the back, they get filled out, and then at the bottom there's all these little boxes that people can check saying how they heard about this church within a strip mall off Main Street in Frisco. We all got into this room in different ways. Maybe it was social media, maybe a friend invited you, maybe you wandered in off the street, I don't know. But we're really, really happy that you're here. But the thing about all of us gathering from here and there and everywhere is that um, we don't necessarily get to choose who's in this room. The Lord kind of calls us here and we end up here in some way. And then we have to figure out how to be family. And sometimes that can look messy. And when we get into family and we really start becoming a family and we get safe enough and close enough, then how many of you know that there's, there's rubs that can happen? There's, oh my goodness, you're different than me. And it's actually not very different than um, 12 guys that were called by Jesus. You know, some of them were related, but for the most part, these guys are all just willy-nilly, like, come follow me, come follow me. And so they're like, yes, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And it's like, oh no, I've got to figure out how to live with these 11 other guys. And we know that they had some struggles with that because in Luke 9, we see them arguing about who's the greatest. And they're all trying to figure out where they land and, you know, oh no, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool. But, um, but you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, the greatest. And then Luke 9 keeps going. And then we even see a moment where these guys, like Jesus's A-team, manifest a spirit of murder and want to call down fire and take out a whole city for rejecting them. And Jesus is like, "Uh, no, (laughs) you do not know what spirit you're of. But what I love is that he didn't send them away. He didn't abandon them. He continued to walk with them knowing that they would get it 
but it's about all of us. What happens when we get in a family, our stuff comes up and then Jesus walks with us and family continues to walk with us as we begin to come to a better understanding of who he is and even who we are when in the middle of the family, right? So when we see messes, we want to celebrate the mess maker and love the mess maker while maybe not loving the mess so much. So I want us to be a people that really knows how to celebrate people and celebrate each other. And that can actually get kind of weird and tricky sometimes in church because people are like, I'm here for Jesus. Why are we celebrating this person, this flawed person? But, okay. Tonight, the worship team was worshiping the Lord. And yes, they were doing some songs that we knew, but there were moments where um, one of them would step out and they'd sing something that maybe they've never sung before. Okay, so Maya, Maya, I just want to talk about you for a second, can I? It's going to make you uncomfortable and I love it. Okay, Maya is a worshiper, but she's also a daughter and she's faithful and she's someone that when she takes a risk and she opens her mouth, the Lord fills it and it has a breaker anointing on it. Can we all just celebrate that Maya took risks tonight with the Lord and we all got to benefit? Now, I want to try it again. This time I want us all to stand up and like really celebrate Maya. Yeah! Maya! Girl, you risked it tonight and the Lord was blessed! Wow! You should do that all the time! You just release that voice! Now, did the first time feel different than the second time? It felt good. I want to do it again. Hey, Liz. Y'all, Liz Lucked has seen me when I'm like at my loserist. This woman has seen me when I am broken on a floor and don't think that I can lead a small group, let alone a church, okay? And yet she has been so faithful to carry me well as a friend, but also to honor me as a leader, even when I didn't believe in myself. She'd remind me who I was and she'd hold me and my husband whenever we were just trying to figure out how to find our way back to wholeness. And now she runs so much of this place with grace and ease and you don't see her sweat. You don't, she is working until the wee hours of the night if need be, just to be faithful. You guys wanna celebrate Liz with me? That's a culture of honor right there. I'm searching for the gold in the person in front of me, and I'm going to call out the gold. It's real easy to see the other stuff. But I want to call out the gold and who the people around me are. Because then I get to experience 
that piece of Jesus that they carry. I get to experience the image bearer that they are. There's this um, term that Jonathan Lewis, he's the, the worship director for Upper Room Dallas, there's this phrase that he uses for worshipers when they're on stage, and it's called mutual submission. And the idea behind it is that if someone on this stage, let's say they're all singing the same, the same line, and there's like, there's like the, you know, the name of Jesus is being highlighted for one worshiper, but God's holiness, like, like, Lord, your name is holy. Some one of them is over here and they're like, ooh, I'm feeling some juice on the name. And the other one's like, ooh, I'm feeling some juice on the holiness. The idea behind mutual submission is that, uh, am I getting the word wrong? No, I said it right. The idea is that whoever takes a risk and begins to sing out, the whole band, no matter what they're kind of feeling like they're carrying in that moment, they choose to submit to the person taking the risk and come up under it and support what it is that, that they're feeling like God wants to do in the room. They may go totally the wrong way and then they'll have to kind of rear it back and pull it back in. But there's something really beautiful about when we see something that someone's carrying and they're stepping out and they're taking a risk for the Lord and we come up under them. There's something really beautiful about when we celebrate people who are in walking in something with the Lord and we come up under it rather than begin to try to feel like we need to pull away from it because this is my lane or this is what God's doing. Like I want us to be a people who really celebrate one another. We come up under each other's dreams. We come up under, let's say, let's say in a certain season, I feel like this is my calling, this is my direction where I'm supposed to go, but I see someone beside me and they've got their calling and they're running and there's wind on it. For that time, I want to come underneath it. I want to come up underneath it. That's why it's so important to know what house we're called to. That's why it's so important to say, Lord, is this my home? If it is, I want to put roots down deep, deep, deep. And what I want to do is I want to come under submission, under covering, and I want to serve the vision of this house. Because when you've found the place that you're supposed to be and you know that you know that you know that you're supposed to be there, then you can start really getting involved in family. You can start letting down all of those guards that you've been carrying. But sometimes we can hide behind our, some stuff that we can call discernment to disqualify someone from pouring into our lives. We can use theology, political affiliations, pain, or our own woundings in order to disqualify someone. And a culture of honor doesn't mean we dismiss our discernment or our pain. It means we don't let them define how we respond to people. Um, Jeremy Shuck is the campus pastor, as I said, and my husband. I've known him for 16 years, and we've had five babies. And in that time, I have had the privilege to see him in his highest, most shiny moments. And I've been able to see his broken, maybe not so shining moments. And I still get to have the choice, the decision that even if there's a day where I'm on my way to church and I've, you know, argued with my husband over, I don't know what he's going to wear that day, anything. 
that I, I choose to see him as my leader and I choose to tuck under and I choose to see him as the Lord sees him. I choose to see him as someone who walks in honor and look for the gold within him. Even though you guys, I have a front row seat to all the cracks. You know what I mean? All of the flaws. Uh, Jeffrey Chaucer was the first one to say the words, familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes when we get really close to someone, we have the ability to see those flaws and use them to kind of dismiss someone's influence on our life. Because church is, church is kind of like this funny club. We all kind of show up and end up here because we believe some of the same things. But at the end of the day, it's about whether or not we choose to plant ourselves and become family and that's a choice that we have to make. Um, I've recently heard uh, a lot of people say that they are disappointed with this so-called culture of honor. Um, and it's because they've seen it used as kind of a blanket to allow people to get away with maybe hurting other people or um, it not being walked out well. And to that, I just want to say that uh, culture of honor is meant to be walked out within a family. The idea is that when we find our place, the place that we're supposed to be, that we get so close to people that we become vulnerable. We find a place to be vulnerable. And how many of you know there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency? Transparency, it means that I can be open. I can tell you guys everything that's going on in my world. But vulnerability is when I can tell you those things, but you have the permission to speak into them. Vulnerability is me saying to you something that is still tender. Not everyone's supposed to have my vulnerability, but it's when you have a safe place, you get close enough to people that you can say things that are so tender that if they respond poorly, it actually could be painful. That's why it's so important to cultivate safe places and safe family. Oh. So, how many here have heard of the words cancel culture? How many of you know that while we like to talk about it a lot and how annoying it is, the church has kind of perfected it? Uh, there it is, yeah. Um, we're always on the lookout for what's off and doesn't perfectly align with our experience, set of opinions, or standards, so I can tune out all what they have to say. Kind of like babies and bathwaters come to mind, you know? Um, when, when David was submitting to Saul, how many of us know that that was very messy? that David, when Saul began to pursue David to kill him, and David was running from Saul, he refused to touch God's anointed. And Saul didn't want anything to do with David other than to kill him. But then you have David and Jonathan, who are on complete opposite sides of the situation, and yet were still able to maintain their affection for one another. And I also want to point out that every time that David got in proximity to Saul close enough to actually talk to him, suddenly, boom, you see it happen. 
that David or Saul remembers who David is. And suddenly he's over, he overflows with, with sadness and, and wants to and says, saying he's sorry. When we are angry or when we're struggling and we're really kind of that sandpaper of relationship is happening, it's really hard to stay mad at a person right in front of you, a flesh and blood human that's not online, that's not, that's not over there in the corner. When we actually get face to face with people, it changes some of that fire that we're carrying around. You know what I mean? <sighs> Cancel culture actively searches for a reason to dismiss someone's influence on us. So we, the way cancel culture works is that we're like, I'm putting up a boundary, but our version of a boundary is like a 10 foot wall that you either have to scale or like dig a hole under in order to get past it. But um, as a recovering codependent, I wanna give you guys a quick little lesson on boundaries. You ready? Can I get the picture up here? A boundary is not a wall. A boundary is a level that someone's actually allowed to influence us. So based upon their safety, that's how you know what sphere they're in. You'll notice the furthermost spheres, we have Al-Qaeda and Charlie Sheen. Not safe. So if you're in the center and God's there and maybe there's some close people around, the idea of boundaries is that my love towards you doesn't change. But based upon your safety through proven track record through history, the amount of influence you have on my life does shift and change. Boundaries aren't a wall. Boundaries are levels of influence, spheres of influence. I don't want to stop loving people. I don't want to stop seeing the gold in the people around me. I don't want to hear something that is slightly off and suddenly think to myself, you know, you're no longer relevant. We do it all the time. We do it with family members. We do it with friends. We do it with people and leadership around us. But these are, these are image bearers. And don't, and hear me, please. I am all about using discernment. And there are people who are toxic and they definitely should not be in any, in any of our close spheres. They should be in a way out there sphere until they prove through their actions, not their words, that they are safe. But what I have actually encountered more within the church is the opposite. Because we've walked around, we've been so hurt and we haven't been taught how to process the hurt. And so we're seeing people through the lens of that hurt. But I want, I want all of Jesus. You guys walked in this room tonight and each one of you is, is carrying Holy Spirit inside of you. You are carrying Christ inside of you. When I cancel you or when I decide that you can't have influence on me, that's saying, Lord, I don't want that piece of you. And I want all of him. I want, I want the entire body. I, I don't want to say, Lord, I'm, I love the heart, but I'm just not into that head stuff. 
I want every single bit that he has for me. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I'm in a prayer room all week, but do not have love, if I can read tons of theological books and essays, but have not love, if I listen to my favorite podcast, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm gonna tell you guys a story. We're gonna go back, we're gonna go back to the year 1999. This is so perfect, you guys. I don't know if you know this, but my mother is here this evening. Uh-huh, yeah. You, th you think you're clapping now, just wait. So the year is 1999. I am 15 years old. And my mother hears the audible voice of God while blow drying her hair. No joke. And um, I like to say that instead of going zero to 60, we went from zero to shofar. Because literally within a week, there was a woman blowing a shofar downstairs in the living room of my house. And these six teenagers, all of us in a mixed family that were there, thought, uh, this is insane. And then quickly, we were suddenly going to church every Sunday, which was very new for me. And I'd grown up maybe being a, um, what does I call it? Like a Christmas and Easter Christian, going to Episcopal service, liturgical. Like they told me what to say. I sat when they said sat. I stood up when they said stood up. And so we go to this wild church with like a full band and people are dancing in the aisles. I mean, it's like conga style. And I thought, oh my goodness, am I going to have to sacrifice a chicken to walk in this building? I had no grid. No grid. And the rule was, if we didn't go to church on Sunday, we weren't allowed to go out and party the next weekend with our friends. So we showed up on Sundays. But we went really slow so we could miss all of that loud music stuff because, oh my gosh, it was so long. Funny thing is, if you know me now, I have like my own space and area up here for worship and just feeling the Lord, working on my moves. But it made me so uncomfortable when I was first going to this church because, I mean, I felt like I needed to be moved in order to actually worship that much. And it was pure and it was sweet and I was on my journey because I just kept thinking, I don't want to fake it. I don't want to fake this. I want it to be authentic. When it happens, it will happen. Anybody else? You know, 
I didn't always worship the way that I worship. My husband and I have this um, analogy that, or this picture that we like to paint for people. Um, on Saturday mornings, we have pancake breakfast at our house. And our kids come in to sit down for pancake breakfast and we talk about Jesus or their week or just we start, we invite them into the table where we sit as a family and we spend time together. It's really fun. And then there's some days where Jeremy and I are, you know, working or, you know, really into the word. And in the other point of the room, in the other part of our house, you start hearing these like giggles. And they start getting really loud and they're like laughing. And so it's like you pick up your phone and you start going, like, I want it. What's going on? And so like as a parent, you grab your phone. You're like, I got to film this moment. They're having, they're, look at them enjoying each other. Sometimes the Lord sets a table for us. And sometimes his kids are so busy enjoying one another and delighting in him that he can't help but be drawn into the moment. So when I get up here, and I do my deal, it's not because like, ooh, I really feel it. Not all the time. It's about me coming into a place of delighting in him. I wish we would start calling going to church. I'm going to delight in the Lord. Like I'm over here like a crazy person, even when I don't feel it, because he's worthy of it but also because I want my ceiling to be your floor. I want you to know that you have permission. If you're new and you walk in here, the fact that the pastor's doing this means you have permission to experience God in this place. You have permission to, to, to get a little bit outside what's comfortable. Like we want that here. Because the thing about authenticity is everyone's like, well, I want my worship to be authentic. It needs to be authentic. And then during the week, you guys, we go to sporting games and concerts and we watch Netflix shows and we're screaming our faces off. And we're not sitting there wondering to ourselves, well, I wonder if that player's in compromise. Or I wonder what that singer's last tweet was. Like, we're like all about it. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're there at a game where we're there at a concert to delight ourselves and enjoy ourselves. And then we walk into church and we're like, I can't do it until I feel it because I need it to be authentic. But when we go to a sporting game, we're like, you can do it. They might be losing and we're like all oh, for it. Like sometimes we need to get in this room and be like, the Lord, you are so good. I can't wait till you come in this room. Oh, my friend, I have a friend, her name is Meredith Malden and um, she, we call in Dal Upper Room Dallas calls her mother worship because she's responsible for just setting the culture really of what we experience and what we're blessed with in worship. This woman labored in that place and she has a, a saying that she likes to say, which is, it isn't hypocritical to agree with the truth. Like we don't get into this room to worship because we had a really good week. 
We worship him because he's worthy. We worship him because he died on a cross to save us. We worship him because he spent, after the garden, all of that Old Testament time doing everything he could to conspire to get back with his kids. Wow. I used to be, well, I kind of still am, but I recently asked the Lord about the week that Jesus died. How he goes from entering to, into Jerusalem to Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then within five days, it's crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I was like, Lord, what happened in five days? And he said, Jesus cleared the temple. And I was like, oh. Like Jesus got angry enough, which by the way, just kind of blows our boxes of this beautiful Christ that we've come to love, the way that he walked in peace and love. And, but he cleared the temple with a whip that he made, okay? Like he felt very strongly. And everybody turned on him. Like we're talking the people that stuck around through eat my body, drink my blood, cannibalism talk. And y'all, he did not pastorally clean that up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like those people stuck around, but clearing the temple, they couldn't handle. Why was he so angry? Because they were making worship cheap. Because the people that were there, what you're normally you're supposed to do, you, you, bring, you bring an animal and you sacrifice it. And what's supposed to happen is that it's an animal that you have raised. You have had to wake up in the morning, you've had to feed it and water it, you've had to change out the hay, But what was happening in the temple was that people were, were just selling what they had raised. And so even though they were being paid for, it didn't cost the worshipers anything. Scripture calls, says, calls it a sacrifice of praise, an offering of praise. sounds like something that's costly. And that doesn't mean that you have to, like me, but maybe it looks like a little yes, doing something that's slightly outside of what's comfortable, taking a little bitty step towards him. And I want to talk about how to do that kind of practically. It starts with, instead of being like, well, I'm going to church to get my card punched today so I can say that I did it, so it can, it can fix me, to saying, I'm going to go and delight in the Lord. I'm going to delight in the Lord. And then you walk in this room and you take just a deep breath. 
and just say, I love you. And you choose to maybe exercise this beautiful imagination, this gift that he's given us for communing with him. And maybe you picture his face. You see his eyes, you see his feet, say, Lord, where are you right now? Where are you in the room? Where are you? What are you? Where are you working in me? Sometimes our life is a little bit too loud to maybe hear in that moment. So maybe what we really need to do is start remembering his faithfulness, remembering when he showed up in my past, remembering how he showed up for my friend, or remember how he showed up for my mom, or remember how he showed up for the Israelites. I don't care where you need to go, there is something to remember. And sometimes you come in here and you're broken or you're covered in anxiety or you don't know how. Trust me, you guys, I have stood in my little square in a place of devastation not knowing how to give him praise or, or singing a song that's like, you're never gonna let me down and me being like, I feel so let down. I wanna say you're never, I, don't, I, be, I wanna believe that you're never gonna let me down. Maybe that's all you have that day. I wanna believe you're never gonna let me down. I wanna believe you're never gonna let me down. And slowly, maybe that starts to become, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down, even though everything looks and feels like you have been let down. But as you continue to say, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. It begins to change what is inside of you. You are making a declaration. It is more than just worship in that moment. It's a declaration where your words have power to change your perspective, change your situation. And it's so powerful. But how we talk to him is important. I'm really excited that my mom came tonight because now I get to use her for this next part. Oh, you guys, my mom is a pioneer. She is a woman and she is the pastor of a church. My mother saw patterns of brokenness within her generational family line and she made powerful, painful choices to change it so that I could live a different life. Can you come here? Hey! Yeah. Okay, look at me. Mom, I love you. Thank you so much for fighting for my future. You are the most powerful woman that I know. And the things that you have fought for have made a floor for me to fly. I'm so thankful for the way that you fought for me through my childhood, through my teenage years. I'm so thankful for how you prayed for my husband and the way that you pray for my kids. You love me really well. I don't know anybody else with a mom like my mom. Can you guys feel the difference? 
like you. Can you guys feel the difference between me telling you about who my mom is and me talking straight to my mother about who she is? Out of my experience with her, out of my love for her. I want to ask the worship team to come back up. Y'all, I want us to worship the Lord again. And I want us to do what we've been talking about. I want us to talk to him. I want us to declare through if it's declaring through that you need to do. When I first got saved, I was in an awesome church with an awesome worship program. But there was like this one night a week or a month when it was like the let's get crazy service. And I want every single time we gather to be that service. Do you know what I mean? I want to come on a Sunday or for a prayer set, and I want to know that I left it all on the floor, that I left it all out there, that I didn't lose the opportunity or the chance to say, God, you're good. God, you can have every single bit of my heart in this moment. You can have my worship. You can have my praise. You can have my adoration. I choose, I choose to look at your face right now. I choose to take this time to focus and magnify. You know what magnifying is? It means that we're taking and we're pulling him into focus. We're making him bigger. Faith is like a, like a currency. It feeds, deposited into what you believe. If you wanna know where your faith is, look at what's big in your world. Let's make him bigger. Let's magnify him.